It's Picture Lock on W-E-R-A-L-P Arlington, 96.7 FM. Welcome to another episode of the world-famous award-winning show. I'm your host, Kevin Sampson, filmmaker, film festival director, film critic, film publicist, and lover of film and TV. You can find all the back episodes and so much more at PictureLockShow.com. As this hits the air, I am currently in Park City, Utah at the Sundance Film Festival for the first time in my life. I'm sure the future me is having a blast, but I'll definitely be bringing you some coverage from the festival. Hopefully by now I've had enough time to post my preview of the Sundance Film Festival for Let's Talk Live. You can find that over on Facebook, but I'll definitely be bringing you guys um, some of the previews of these films. Again, Sundance kicks it off for the year in regard to festivals, world premieres, and uh, Sundance is where the buzz starts so that we can go into this next year of filmmaking. But today I'm joined by two talented documentary female filmmakers. I have writer-director, producer Jill Dimby, guest of The Doc and Now Love, and writer-director of the documentary To Kid or Not To Kid, Maxine Trump. Fair warning, I had a little Forrest Gump moment with Maxine's interview on her first question because it cut out a little bit on the call. I was able to catch another one later, but my apologies for that first one, Maxine. But I'm sure she'll find it funny as she did get her start in comedy, as you guys will find out. Plus, I have the picture lot question of the week from last week, and I gotta say, a lot of y'all chimed in on that one. And that's all ahead on Picture Lock. Hi, everybody. This is Talia Grimes from Creative Edge Collaborative, and you are listening to Picture Lock. You're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and Now Love is the story of 96-year-old Dr. Bernard W. Bale, a highly decorated Jewish World War II hero who was shot down over Nazi Germany. Imprisoned in a German hospital, he began a clandestine affair with his nurse, Ermgard, who introduced him to a spiritual love unlike any he had experienced, which became the guiding light for his life and career. I have writer, director, producer, Jill Dimby guest on the line with me. Jill, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you, glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. I wanna crack into this film, but the first question I always start out with, Jill, when did you first fall in love with film? Okay. I fell in love with the film and I saw the film blow up. And um, at, the, at the time, I, I, I thought, this is really interesting. It played with time and different modes of reality. And I thought, I'd never seen anything like it before. So it sparked something in me. I didn't know that I, at that point I would become a filmmaker, but that was the first time. Then the second film I'll go on was last year, <laughs> Marion Beck, which was a mix up of time and flashbacks, but it was filled with emotion. And the story didn't have a traditional narrative as well, but it dealt with kind of a dream world. And, and I saw then that picture, words, and music were powerful in creating emotion. And then I went on to Jean-Luc Godard. I, I got into the, you know, <laughs> using the camera as, as a pen, you know, that, that whole auteur cinema, French cinema, just, I loved it. And then, then the Maisel Brothers, I fell in love with Give Me Shelter. And I ended up working with the Maisel Brothers, the legendary team that created Grey Gardens and so many other amazing films. And mm, mm-hmm. they trained me as an editor. So I was the luckiest woman in the world. And so I got to work with them. And you learn very quickly in the editing room 
you know, how to tell a story. And going through thousands, hundreds of thousands of feet of documentaries, you got to find it. And, um, you know, I always follow the thing like Aaron Sorkin always says, don't tell the audience something they already know. So pretty quickly you learn your way around how to craft a story. Um, and it's never the same. <laughs> yeah. Time you do. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, well, yeah. I, I feel like that's a, that's a, that was a great nugget right there. Don't tell the audience something they already know. And I think that's what makes great cinema, right? The films that constantly have the audience asking a question um, rather than the ones where you want to throw your popcorn at it because you're like, oh, this is so obvious what's going on. Uh, so right. you kind of gave us a, a, a brief background, but perhaps you could kind of talk about, you know, going from an editor to, um, you know, writer, director, producer of And Now Love. Like, what was your kind of breaking and crossing over story? Well, the, tra the trajectory was when I became an editor, I was at, at public television in New York, WNET, for years. And I worked for a man, uh, Richard Schickel, who was my mentor, and I became his um, I then became his producer. So um, I went from editor to producer and then then started to write. And then when I was producing, I was actually directing because they didn't call it, you know, the producer was the director, you know, on these small, um, small teams. So I was doing that as well. It just wasn't called that. And then, so then I, you know, became everything. And then um, <laughs> I went on to work. You know, I you know did some stuff for Lifetime Television and more public television, and then worked well with the studios, mostly Disney and Warner's, um, and started creating um, documentaries for their DVDs. And I just did a ton of those, and then went back out into the world and started doing um, docu you know documentaries again. And then and and now Love came to me, and I and I thought, well, this is a fabulous story, so I couldn't. Couldn't turn it down. <laughs> it's Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer, director, producer of And Now Love, Jill Demby Guest. Jill, if you could, uh, in your own words, what is this documentary about? And then also, you know, why did you want to tell this story? Well, I met I met Dr. Bale through a mutual friend, and <clears throat> I had read his I had read his um, memoir, Ermgard's Flute. And I thought, oh, my God, this is a movie. And I didn't think they had the funds to do a narrative. So I said, well, why don't we do it as a documentary? And I had a certain take on it. And here I went and met him. And he was, here is this, you know, very small man who was this highly decorated World War II Jewish veteran who would face death so many times. You know, he'd been bailed out of many planes as her lead radar navigator and then shot down and captured by the Nazis. And, and I wondered, you know, someone who faces death that many times, what, what will they do with their life after that? And this man formed an incredibly inspiring life and in that he decided at that point in, in the war, after he had fallen in love with his nurse in Germany, that I am not going to be a killer of people. I am going to be a healer. And he went on to become this doctor and psychoanalyst who really disrupted this female, I mean, this male-centric um, paradigm of psychoanalysis and created, you know, a female-centric paradigm, which really, you know, is called the mother's imprint, and it has to do with, you know, the transgenerational transmission of trauma um, in utero. So his whole, you know, really his whole mission is to 
basically treat women better. So we have, we, we all have a better experience, you know, once we can slay our, slay our demons. And, you know, his, the ultimate thing for him was to really create peace in the world. You know, when you do that, he feels, you know, one person at a time, every time someone kind of cleans up the things that are maybe holding them back, they are open to more love and that, that he believes everyone is pure love and that once you have that, you can give that and then create, create a more peaceful world. That's been his whole mission. And, the, you know, the, the message is really treat, treat women better because they are bearing the next generation. So I, I saw that story and I said, how could I not tell this? Um, it's an inspiring life story. Who wouldn't want to follow a life like that? Um, to fight oppression abroad and then fight oppression at home. He fought anti-Semitism here. And then also he fought his own analytic society when they tried to center new ideas. So it's a courageous, you know, courageous story um, and inspiring. Yeah. I, so I think... Go ahead. <laughs> I went on a bit about that, but... No, 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 no go ahead. I think I think it's, it's, it's really fascinating. Um, and I think that, you know, without filmmakers, right, like would we all be able to be introduced to Dr. Bale and, you know, his life story? What a fascinating story. But then not only that, I do think that, you know, women as the the vehicle, and I don't mean to, to characterize them as a, a subject or an object, but I'm saying as the vessel in which life comes through and out into the world, um, how uh, really important, um, as you said, like in, in utero, like how, how important it is to, to take care of our, our women. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of, what I want to know is, you know, in regard to him actually facing death so many times, as you said, talking about life and then also combining that for talking about love and true love, like, what was it like kind of, if, I, if I'm making any sense, but like narrating and editing and bringing this story together to now the documentary that we're able to see. Like, it feels as though it's so many ways and directions that you could go with the story. But was it a challenge for you to kind of bring it all together? You're absolutely right, Kevin. And I'm glad you asked that question because, you know, like any creative endeavor, it's a, it's a challenge. But to put this story together was a... Uh, more challenging. I mean, I always thought it would be challenging, but it was really challenging mm -hmm. to be able to craft something where, you know, the war, be, the war was the thing that really informed his life. So to do a piece about his life and work and put all those pieces together seemed a little, you know, some somehow seemed a little disparate um, because at the end, really, you know, Act Three is so much about his theory and the development of that and how it works, but. Um, I was able to do, um, you know, we had a lot of footage, let's say, and then hundreds of hours of archival footage. It, it, it was a huge job. Um, but what, what we did do is at a certain point when we were shooting, I thought, why don't I take him back to Germany, to the room he was incarcerated in? Because I think that that will help add, you know, a through line, an emotional through line to mm -hmm. the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So we ended up, I knew he was going to Germany. I mean, I knew he was going to Europe with his girlfriend. So I said, well, why don't you meet, why don't you meet me in Germany? And he said, oh, my God, I'll do it. 
So that became a very central thing in the movie because we have him on the train and it's as if you're following his whole life on that train pretty much Mm. Um, in Germany. And then going back to that hospital room, you know, talk about a cinema verite moment. I mean, when he, he's, you know, he's 90 he's now 98 and he's kind of almost blind, but I had him walk up the stairs into that room where we had scouted the room. And I, from his descriptions, we kind of picked what room we thought it was. And he walked up there, and it was like he was a, a, a sniffing dog. He, he went right to the room. Wow. And it was the most chilling moment, chilling moment. He walked in, and he said, this is the room. And everyone, I mean, I just nearly broke down. You know, it was, it was just one of those moments. And so, you know, going back there and having him face that just brought up so much more. Um, and so, you know... Weaving that together uh, with the rest of the story really, really helped. And um, he, it was the first place that he found love. So kind of wrapping that up like a bookend at the end mm-hmm. to still have him on the train talking about it um, after all this time was, it's pretty emotional. So um, I hope I'm answering your question. No, I think you, I am. You and, d- uh, <laughs> definitely are. Um and um, and then I had a wonderful narrator. I mean, traditionally, I'm not a filmmaker who uses narration, but I knew because of his age, I was going to have to um, help you know help him a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I knew he would carry a lot of the story because he was still able to do that. But um, had a wonderful you know um, narrator, Peter Coyote, um, and that really helped you know helped us you know um, bridge the bridge the gaps. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson, and you just received a master class in documentary filmmaking from writer, director, producer of And Now Love, Jill Denby Guest. Jill, I, I, I almost, I, I want to keep going with the interview, but we're going to have to wrap things out. But I just, I really appreciate, you know, kind of what you just said in terms of, you know, the struggle for filmmakers, um, because I think even as non-filmmakers, just regular audience members, Sometimes people don't realize that there's a lot that goes into giving a final product that is a cohesive story. And so, you know, as you just talked about the train ride, um, and you know, as 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 documentary filmmakers, a lot of times you you set out like this is what I believe the film is going to be, but then the film tells you what it's about, and I, I could just feel all of those moments just now as you talked about it in terms of, you know, taking the train and walking into the room. Um, So this is probably going to be one of those films that I think people really respond to. And for those that want to check it out, Jill, how could they find out more online or follow you guys on social media? Well, we've got a Facebook and Twitter uh, Twitter page. And um, we also check our website because we have screenings going on all the time. So we were at Museum of Tolerance at UCLA, and, and uh, January 27th, we'll be at the Central Library in downtown Los Angeles. And then February 23rd, we'll be at the Altadena Library. So we're ramping up a big screening campaign. So I would just say, look at that, because we're not going to digital quite yet, because um, we've been having such great engaged uh, Q and A's and uh, screenings, so we want to keep doing that, so we find our audience. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, 
we're gonna have to wrap out, unfortunately. But I would love to know, like, what's one of the best uh, comments that you've received after the lights go up on this film? After I me mean, at the end, well, people are usually crying, and and people are usually, you know, they're crying and they're just so grateful to have seen it, mm. and they all want to run over and hug Dr. Bale. And me. <laughs> <laughs> be gentle, so, be gentle. And so. Yeah, I mean, everyone says, oh, my God, I resonate with this theory. I can't believe it. And then they start telling you their life story about their mother. Um, so it brings out everyone seems to resonate with this with this mother's imprint theory. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. Wow. Well, that just goes to show the power of cinema. And now love is definitely on the film festival circuit uh, now, folks. I've been talking with writer, director, producer of the film, Jill Demby Guest. Jill, thanks again for coming on Picture Lock. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. What if you could have a film critic, film festival director, film publicist, and fellow filmmaker guide you with your film's PR and marketing journey from pre-production to post? I'm Kevin Sampson, and my online course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker, does just that. In this course, I'm going to teach you how to set up your film to engage an audience and build a community long before you call action. I'll show you how to approach critics to make them aware of your film like publicists do. And as a director of two film festivals, I won't just teach you hacks and secrets to reduce entry fees, but how you can use the festival circuit to create buzz around your film. I'm a huge supporter of diverse storytelling and film, and I believe the most unique voices come from indie filmmakers. That's who I've supported over the years with my show, Picture Lock, whether on TV or on radio. With as much experience as I've had as an independent filmmaker myself, critic, publicist, and festival director, I realize that most indie filmmakers just need access to the knowledge that big firms provide to achieve success. So in this course, I'm going to demystify some of the process and give you everything I know in a behind the scenes look at the sides of the business you don't always see. So if you're an indie filmmaker that's looking to change the game with your film's PR and marketing, make sure you check out PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Head on over to prfortheindiefilmmaker.com and get a free preview of the course, PR for the Indie Filmmaker. Get your film seen, build community, and become an army of one. Picture Lock question of the week last week. What's the worst movie you've ever seen? On the Instagram photo I had, Batman and Robin, Son of the Mask, Jupiter Ascending, shout out to Dean Rogers, Bees, <laughs> and The Room. So you guys had a lot to say about this. On Instagram, at Shahid underscore Villa 26 said Robocop, 2014 i literally slept in the theater and removed my shoes also at jay jameson said the room shouldn't count the worst movie i've ever seen is master and commander on facebook philip cook said sorry could not make it through the room justin escovell from the epic film guys said batman and robin and the room are cinematic masterpieces bad i think not good sir Bill Coughlin said, oh, hands down, Highlander 2, The Quickening. It may not have been the worst movie ever, but I had such high hopes. I had the afternoon off of work and went with my friend Mike to see it in the theater. 
I loved the original and was excited to see this was from the same director, Russell Mulcahy, and some of the visuals in the trailer had me intrigued, but nothing could have prepared me for how much it just crapped all over everything the original film had done. I know the TV show and related films has its fans, but this soured me so much that I couldn't bring myself to watch a frame. Lakeisha Monique Jackson said Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo. Thelonious Stanley said The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, The Lover. Daniel Lease said Leonard Part 6 with Bill Cosby. Lane Coates said League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So disappointed in the film, my friends and I spent the rest of the movie MST3King it with other moviegoers. If you don't know what MST3K is, that's Mystery Science Theater 3000. Yeah, I kinda had to look that up myself, but. <laughs> Lavelle Jackson said, Mac and me. Thanks everyone for weighing in on last week's question. As always, love hearing from you guys. Picture lot question of the week this week. What do you think about the Oscar nominations? I know some of you are heated, some of you are elated. It always kind of falls that way. So I'd love to actually get some call-ins on this one. Call 202-350-1351 and leave a 60 second or less voicemail or leave a comment via Picture Lock's social media and I'll play or read it on next week's show. It's Picture Lock, I'm Kevin Sampson, and the documentary To Kid or Not To Kid is a new film that aims to dispel the myth that living child-free is weird, selfish, or somehow wrong. In a world where you're threatened for speaking openly about living child-free, two women from different decades search for ways to support each other in making the decision to live without kids. I have the film's writer-director, Maxine Trump, on the line. Maxine, welcome to Picture Lock. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Maxine, the first question that I always start out with, when did you first fall in love with film? I think that's a really great, great question because I actually started my career in TV and it's a very different, it's a very different um, methodology of making stories between TV and film. So I guess when I knew that I had a possibility or the lights opened or the, you know, um, the doors opened and the lights came on for me, it was <laughs> <Right>. really, <laughs> really watching um, the first ever feature documentary that made me think of cinema because I think we've all watched so many documentaries that have been made in a way that very educational and it feels like a history doc or and and they all mean well and many of them have been great but I saw Dark Days which was a fantastic film made by Mark Singer about of homeless people that lived in the New York subway system and they built houses in these tunnels which was just incredible and Mark Singer spent a year shooting, living in these tunnels and shooting on film. And the film was incredible. And, and I really like talking about this age, There is no difference. So, yeah, that was the defining moment, really. Man, that is really... That's really cool because I, I love the fact, and we'll get into this in the next question, which is if you could kind of give us your breaking in story and how you got in the industry. But you went from TV, this documentary really inspired you, and now you're making 
documentaries yourself. Um, so yeah, Maxine, if you could, like, let's go ahead and jump into what's your breaking in story. Well, I always, uh, I mean, go back a little ways now, but um, I knew from being a teenager that I wanted to do art. I just, um, I when I was at school, art was the the defining kind of cool for me, and and I just wanted to create. But I didn't really, I didn't come from a creative family in any way, and it wasn't until actually I travelled around the world that I recognised that I could go art school and, and maybe create stories at art school. So I, uh, this is going to sound a little sort of high-end uh, art world right now, but I built these installations. So it's very cerebral and conceptual kind of art, but they always had a message to them and a story. So I would always use videos and moving images to create these art installations. And then from there, I was at art school, and then I applied for every job in the TV industry I could apply for. And I was just really, really lucky to get into the BBC very early on. It was my second, my second job out of art school, so I was kind of delighted. And they had an amazing training scheme. And I was in comedy for a long time, actually, which I think... <laughs> what? <laughs> it, yeah, which was um, wonderful. I mean, as a young 20-year-old um, in London, uh, working in comedy, going to see comedy shows, it was just a brilliant lifestyle. But I didn't quite, although it's fantastic, I didn't quite find my calling until I made documentaries. But I think... What it's actually done for me is really given me a comedic sensibility because I always try and find humor in my work. So uh, I really feel that documentaries can have a lot of flavor to them and can take you through a whole dimension of emotions. So my start at the BBC, I think, has really helped me be a better filmmaker and I just started making short documentaries. Um, at, I went to film school at in at night and made started making short films while I was still at the BBC and then used that to try and make um, documentaries full time and, and managed to uh, move into the documentary world by um, making commercials actually. I left the BBC, I went freelance and started making commercials. Wow. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm Kevin Sampson. I'm talking with the writer-director of To Kid or Not To Kid, Maxine Trump. And Maxine, I love your backstory because, one, I, I mean, and this is part of the reason that it's so fun to actually talk to the creator of a production because getting this backstory of you, like, building uh, art and then TV, and now we're getting this documentary, it really helps to understand a little bit more about you as well as the production, which is an extension of you. So if, we, if you could, like, let's go into To Kid or Not To Kid. For the audience, um, just in your own words, what is the documentary about? It's really... I mean, you gave me a great introduction. Thanks, Kevin, because it really is about the stigma that shouldn't be associated with that decision anymore. 
you know, we live in the 21st century and we have a lot of freedoms now, which is amazing. Um, you know, the fact that, you know, gay marriage is now legal is just the most amazing thing. And why is it you can't not to have kids without people responding to you in a really weird way or, or, or chastising you or making you feel like you're strange? And actually, a bunch of comedians that have made this decision now call it the new coming out. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. Right, right. Yeah, you know, and the other thing, which, you know, I've had other filmmakers on this show before that have, uh, you know, kind of more similar themed uh, kind of web series or, or, or films that are comical just in terms of the decision to either A, have kids or... Um, trying in vitro to have kids, but that question that comes up is like almost as though like you like what's going on with your life or what's wrong with you? You're young, whatever, and you don't have kids yet, and so it's almost as though in society we feel like you know your life is not um, you're not living your life to the fullest, or there's something that's stunting you from you know having this amazing. Uh, life and sometimes we forget that you got to actually be sensitive because you never know maybe someone's been trying and they they just couldn't have a kid or maybe they decide um, not to so I, I think that this is a, like a very um, interesting topic and so I wonder kind of what has been um, public reaction to the documentary as I'm sure there are plenty of people out here that can relate right and that's a great question again because um Fundamentally, I was super nervous about putting this film out because if you're if you're speaking quite openly about this subject, you can be trolled a lot. Um, that some of the people I've interviewed in the film has actually had such negative feedback that they've had to drop their social media accounts, etc. You know, it's just been crazy. But it's been delightful so far because so many people have just been saying they want this film, they need this film, there hasn't been a film like there, like this out out there for them. So it's been kind of incredible. And I've been overwhelmed. We had our premiere late last year at Doc NYC and we're just beginning our festival run now and people continually are emailing me or messaging me through us through Facebook and my team just saying, when are you bringing it to our town? When are you bringing it to <laughs> our state? And also, when are you bringing it to our country? Like, there's some countries that I haven't even considered um, trying to get to with the film and they're like, no, please come to Paris and France. You know? <laughs> right. Wow, that's 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 awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Picture Lock. I'm talking with the writer-director of To Kid or Not To Kid, Maxine Trump. Maxine, I want to know, uh, as we kind of wrap out here, what was the genesis for you and, and what sparked you to want to um, focus on this subject as well as, um, you know, we call we call them characters, but obviously the the subjects of your film. Um, what what made you say, you know what? I want to devote my time and energy to telling this story. We never go into making films lightly, right? <laughs> and I think um, I think what's delightful that you talked to me about my start. So my start being at art school, I always knew I was a creative person, yet. I was made to feel if I didn't have kids, I wasn't creating something significant. And that was really, gosh, you know, I, I couldn't get past that. 
And I started putting my toes into exploring this topic because I was in my early 40s trying to make a decision of whether I wanted kids. And then it just blew up into, you know, I just started doing a little bit of research and then I just realized there was nothing out there. There was no film for me to watch like I wanted to watch. I wanted to watch somebody going through this decision and trying to work out what they wanted to do. Um, and there really, there wasn't anything out there for me. There were books and websites and blogs, but um, they were all a little under the radar until, you know, they, they, they until now really, um, there's been so many more books and, and now the film is out and, and that's really exciting. You know, I, I love that. I love the fact that, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's like one of those things where it's like, uh, unfortunately for you, you know, you kind of dealt with um, something that was kind of difficult, but you took that and you created this documentary. And as you can tell, like, you know, it's actually making a difference, impacting people um, and sparking conversation, which I think is the importance of film, right? Like films yeah. allow us to, um, you know, you kind of have this barrier where, it, where it's not actually you. You can consume it on the big screen, but when the lights come up, then we can have those conversations. Um, and so uh, I really do appreciate the fact that you you put the time and effort uh, into to doing this because I think even as a parent myself, sometimes like this, these are the questions that you ask, like, should I bring children into a world where it's really kind of crazy out here you know like i think <laughs> right. i you know I, I war with that and uh first reform came out last year with uh ethan hawk and you know that was one of the things that they kind of debated um you know just in, with all the craziness in the world so i mean there's so many different factors um but it's always great to kind of be able to be, feel validated by seeing a film and seeing, oh, you know what? I'm not the only person that struggles with this or has thought this. And so for those that are listening that may want to check out this film, Maxine, how can they do that? Follow you guys on social media. Yeah, so the best thing, the best thing really is to go to the website to kidornotkid.com and sign up, for our web, uh, sign, up, sign up for our newsletter because that's way to be sure to find out about the festival screening near you obviously follow the facebook page to kid or not to kid um instagram you know we're everywhere because we're, we're literally everywhere and we respond a lot we love hearing from the audience or people wanting to see the film but yeah if you sign up to our newsletter you'll definitely find out and you won't miss the facebook post um, because it won't appear in your feed uh, about the <laughs> festival, you know, in, in your right. town or state or, or country. So, um, yeah, and, and you'll really, you know, we deal with this film or we deal with this subject in, in a light way. You know, you're going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy the documentary. You're going to have some laughs and you're going to have some tears. Um, but we're fundamentally making entertainment. So we, we really want people to, to enjoy it while also know analyzing this decision for themselves awesome writer director of to kid or not to kid maxine trump maxine thanks so much for coming on picture lock it's been a pleasure talking with you thank you so much kevin and i enjoy i'll be sharing the podcast so let us know when it's posted
That's all for this episode. I'd like to thank my guests, Jill Demby Guest and Maxine Trump for coming on the show. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, Blueberry, wherever you catch your podcast so you can catch those unlocked versions of the show as well as the Picture Lock PR after show and any extended versions of this show that I cannot play fully on radio. If you're a fan of Alexa skills, just say Alexa, play Picture Lock podcast and I'll come right up. Feel free to leave a five-star review of the show as well. You're supporting the filmmakers and guests I have on the show by allowing more people to be exposed to the podcast. It's quick, easy, and free. I really appreciate it. And you can even do that on Facebook as well. (laughs) You can find Picture Lock on most social media. All social media is at Picture Lock Show. Watch back episodes of the TV show at youtube.com slash picture lock show and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, you can fill out the form on the website. All music is done by Mike S. The Producer 13. Make sure you follow him on all things social media at Mike S. The Producer, numeral one, numeral three, and hit him up for your music production needs. Thanks, bro. I'm Kevin Sampson, and until next time, I hope you stay locked on film.